Ghouls. Happy Hump Day and welcome to Ghoul Friends Podcast, brought to you by your best ghoul friends, Lucy and Lindsay. Grab your blankets, snacks and good vibes for tonight's sleepover, where the category is always horrifically spooky. If you want to keep up with us on the socials, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at GhoulFriendPod on Twitter and GhoulFriends underscore podcast on Instagram. You can also listen to us on all podcasting platforms where we release new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to follow me on my personal socials, you can find me on Twitter and Twitch at Lulu underscore Pew. And I'm at Hi It's Lindsay underscore on all social media. Now let's get spooky. Hello, gorgeous, gorgeous girls, and welcome to another episode of Girlfriends. I'm back after a wee break of being a sad girl, but I'm really excited to get back into talking about horror and chatting with my best girl, Lucy. How are you doing? Did you miss me? Missed you so much, and not just (laughs) because I'm sure people are sick of hearing my voice all the fucking time the past four weeks. Uh, but no, I, I did miss you. I did see your your bonny face last week, but it's nice to have you back on the pod. Yeah, yeah, it was good having seen a friendly face for a change and having a, a spooky sleepover um, ourselves. We actually watched the films together that you covered last week, so it was kind of nice to do that IRL. Yeah, and we watched Last Night in Soho, which was so good. So good. Uh, Review on that pending. (laughs) Aye. (laughs) Um, But we're not alone today. We are joined by Amber from Dungeness of Hornblood Fire podcast. How are you doing, Amber? Hi, girls. I'm doing great, thank you. I'm currently melting in this heat, as I know you both are too. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I feel like we've been talking about this for ages, so to finally sit down with you guys is so exciting. No worries at all. I know, I feel like that was a fair few people, but it's always (laughs) so nice when you finally meet them and finally get to talk through the films. And this week is particularly exciting because, Amber, you've chosen... What like one of the best topics on our list, which is what the hell did I just watch? I know I saw it and I was like, I'm having that. No one else is having that. That's mine. Um, so I'm kind of like, have I picked the right week to come back? Because these, I was watching these films and I'm like, I don't know if I have the brain power to talk about these, but they were very fun watches. So this week we are talking about tag and Evolution. Um, They both came out in 2015. Uh, Tag's a Japanese horror film and Evolution is a French horror film. So um, interesting that we both picked international non-English films as well. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Um, So before we get into that, Amber, do you want to tell our lovely listeners a wee bit more about yourself and your little corner of the internet? Yeah, sure. So I write horror movie reviews, um, mostly on my Instagram at Hornbloodfire. I also write for Ghouls Magazine and Grimoire of Horror, who are two awesome publications who I love doing reviews for. Um, I have my own podcast, also called Hornblood Fire, where twice a month I get a guest on and we go through um, a movie based on three words that they like. Like it could be like gore, girls and guts and then I'll pick a movie that matches that and we just go to town on it 
um yeah love my little corner of the internet love hanging out with people on twitter and just talking horror movies and yeah that's i think that's everything i've got well, that all sounds amazing um yeah, I've had quite a few people on who write for Girls Mag. Um, it's such a great publication, and everybody we've had on from there has been so lovely as well. Yeah, um, it's, it's a great gang. Like it's being part of it. It's it's so exciting, and I love it so much. <laughs> so, um, let's get into our spooky sleepover then. And Lucy, can you take us through tag, please? Yes. ピンポンポンポン突然ですが重要なお知らせです全国の JKの皆さんあなたたちはちょっと手ぶてしいので少し数を減らすことにしますリアルオニオコスタートです The IMVD plot for TAG is as follows. A girl's life cascades into chaos as everyone around her suffers a gruesome fate while she becomes less certain of who she is and her once, once normal. This was released in 2015 and I do, I do apologise if I butcher these names. I said this last week as well on the pod with Cynthia. I'm Scottish, I can barely speak English, so apologies in advance um but this was directed by Sion Sono whose other work includes Love Exposure, Suicide Club and Red Posts on Etcher Street and I think there'll be some interesting discussions about the director on this because I did a little bit of research afterwards and the themes that are in tag seems to be quite a few themes in his filmography um He's also the writer of this, but it's based on the original story by Yusuke Yamada. And the cast includes Mina Trendy, Mariko Shinoda, and Arena Mano. Now, this definitely fits in the category of what the hell did I just watch? Because, like, but I, I really, really did enjoy it. Um, now, Amber, you gave us quite a few different, like, suggestions of films for this topic, which I loved. Um, so, obviously, it's, like, obscure horror, something that you really enjoy. And then why did you gravitate towards this film? Um, Yeah, I would definitely say if it's, if it's going to leave me at the end of it, like, what is happening, then I'm going to enjoy it. And for some reason, and I, I'm pretty sure this makes perfect sense, but a lot of those films also seem to be Japanese. Um, I'm pretty sure all the films I suggested to you were Japanese, actually. Um, which, you know, J-horror is is my favorite subgenre of horror. It's the genre that I cut my teeth on, and it's the genre that I personally, like, 
try to explore as much as I can like it's my goal in life to be a J-horror expert as sad as that is um so yeah I, I think the topic of what the hell did I just watch lends itself perfectly to these kind of movies and for me that's what horror is all about is you know coming away with a feeling like a feeling that you've never had before if a movie shows me something I've never seen before then it's like an automatic five star in my book I love that yeah, definitely. And I feel like on Girlfriends as well, or in general, to be honest, I know Lindsay will probably agree, foreign horror isn't something that I'm an expert in. And like last week when I was speaking to Cynthia, we watched Under the Shadow, which is a Persian film. That was incredible. Um, and J-horror is something that I'd love to get into because I'm and and Korean horror as well, because I know there's like a lot of cool themes and all that kind of stuff. But Lindsay, this was also a first watch for you, right? How what did you think when you finished it? What as I was watching it, I was just kind of like, what the hell is going on? But I think the ending wraps everything up nicely and it, it kind of gives everything that's happened purpose. But so at the end, I was like, oh, okay, I'll get it. Like, and I enjoyed it. But kind of during it, I was just like, what the hell is going on in this film? Like trying to make head or tail of it I just I couldn't until the end when it all started to make a bit more sense but yeah it was it's a really fun ride and I I kind of agree like I think it's interesting that we picked foreign horror films or English horror films because I feel like sometimes in English language stuff it's like a more sanitized version and like some American and British directors try and remake like Japanese Korean horror and they just don't hit the beats the same way it's like a more sanitized version of it I think maybe like the only exception is like The Ring um, from Ringu but yeah they just have this completely different way of telling stories from mm. English language films and I can't even quite put my finger on how they do it but it's just something in like english-speaking films they just can't hit the same way i don't think anyway no i completely agree and i i completely agree with what you said about it being like sanitized as well like i think um a lot of western horror is almost well these days especially is kind of like afraid to go there um and there's like a sense that they don't trust their audience to you know enjoy gore and enjoy fucked up themes and that's why I love Japanese cinema is because usually a Japanese director is more willing to go there than a western director I'm speaking very generally of course but that's been my experience with it and what I also found quite interesting with because evolution was Lindsay's choice as well Amber you've chosen a film that kind of looks at adolescence from a female perspective and then Lindsay you've kind of done the other way with with boyhood as well in evolution um so it'll be interesting to see how those conversations go I was trying to have a look after watching this at like the different themes that people thought of from tag um I'd be interested to see what your thoughts are on it I saw like because there is quite a bit of queer coding in this film as well um I saw a couple people saying that maybe it's the representation of like the coming out process and obviously being gay in Japan culturally is very different than in Western society um, but also people talking about um, it could be the representation of women in Japan as well and the patriarchy and society so there's those two kind of themes and then there was also quite a lot of debate I saw about 
how this was shot because like I said and I don't know this director's uh, filmography but I know that they talk a lot, a lot about violence and gender and sex in J-horror and some people are saying that some of this is could be seen some of his work could be seen as quite misogynistic I could see it in some of the shots it's very voyeuristic I mean I don't need to see white panties every five <laughs> seconds <laughs> but yeah I, I'd be interested to get both well Amber your thoughts on this and Lindsay as well like what are the themes that you took away from this because there's a lot to a lot to dissect it's a lot of layers yeah it, it's it's a lot um and you're completely right it's a lot of it is about women and specifically women in Japan um I I'm not Japanese obviously so I'm not going to speak for women in Japan but I, I did live there for a couple of years so I have kind of a somewhat knowledge of what women go through in Japan and um as you said it's a very um you know being queer in Japan is like for the most part like a, a no-no it's still quite a patriarchal society you know women have certain expectations that are placed on them as people and only recently there's been like um kind of like a breakthrough with that like a, a modern feminist wave type thing um so I think like I'm I'm in two minds about tag because on one on the one hand I'm like is this a really pro-feminist like comment on how women are stuck in these roles and they're like doomed in these cycles of misogyny but on the other hand I'm like do we really need another upskirt shot of a schoolgirl to prove your point it's it's funny because like I get the point he's making but he makes it over and over again and um Sion Sono is, is a difficult director as well because and I I'm not a person I'm a person who will separate the art from the artist like I will watch Roman Polanski films he's a piece of shit he can die sorry I don't know if I can swear on the pod but oh uh, we swear all the fucking time don't worry (laughs) (laughs) okay okay but um but you know some of his films uh some of my favorites like some of the greatest works of art Sion Sono has recently had a lot of sexual misconduct allegations made against him by women in the Japanese film industry, um, which some people might look at his work and go, oh, that doesn't surprise me at all, um, because he does put women a lot of times in misogynistic positions. Like you said, there's a lot of focus on sex and gore, gratuitous shots of schoolgirls underwear. Um, So I don't know, I'm really torn on tag and I would be so interested to know what you guys think. Like, is this a feminist masterpiece or is it misogynistic trash, basically? Yeah, I I, I still can't decide. I'm still debating it because there <laughs> is some very feminist themes, but it, it's the way it's shot. I think if it was mm-hmm. shot differently, because there is some really powerful bits like the wedding scene. L- Lindsay, I want to know, what do you think? I was kind of team, like feminist masterpiece before having this conversation because I felt like the whole like the whole thing is shot very like male gazy and like very gratuitous violence but then when you come to the end and find that it's like this old man who's like playing the game of Mm -hmm. Mr. life it kind of made sense because it was like well, this guy is like in charge of the puppet strings of her life. So of course he would do it in that way because it's male gazy because that's what men want to see. They want to upskirt schoolgirls for some reason. Exactly. Like I kind yeah. of got almost like yeah. 
porno fantasy like at the start when all the girls are playing with the pillows and the feathers are going everywhere and you've got this like ethereal music and I'm like this is some guy's wet dream and then obviously they'll get cut in half and then you're like oh (laughs) maybe not (laughs) no absolutely I mean the the first time I watched it I watched it I watched it with a man actually which is interesting because I got to see a different perspective on it but he was like oh my god that was so gross like did we need all those upskirt shots and I was defending it I was like yes we needed them all because that's the point like like you said Lindsay it's it's a male fantasy everything in this movie is a male fantasy whether it be the little pillow fights on the bus or the tiny schoolgirl outfits and the Japanese schoolgirl in itself the the iconography of that is disgusting in many ways um the fetishization of japanese girls specifically japanese schoolgirls. um so yeah i was defending it at first i was like yes it needs to be gross because it's that's the point but then the more i thought about it i was like well did it need that many shots of girls underwear i don't know yeah i think i think it's going to take me a while to form an opinion on it to be honest i think this is going to be one of those films that you think about for a while and maybe your opinion changes there i know there's certain horror films that we've covered you know in the past year or even horror films that i've seen years ago and as you grow and change as a person and your views on things change so yeah but i mean like you said before amber that's the sign of a good movie as well it's something that you think about afterwards um and it'll be interesting when we talk about the other scene, like one of the last scenes where it's like the video game bit as well and all the sleazy mm-hmm. men and like there's a lot of comments there, but we'll get into the plot. Because um, <laughs> this like this intro is like, it hits you straight off with a fucking banger. Um, I didn't know what I thought this film was going to be, but it wasn't what I thought from after the the, the start of it. But we, we start off with a um, very shy kind of meek, timid uh, schoolgirl called uh, Mizuku and she survives a gust of wind that slices through her school bus so at first they're on the school bus and you just I, I didn't know what to expect about it but they're all kind of giggling it's all you know happy clappy it's all fine and then this wind beheads every single bastard on that bus except for her <laughs> oh it's so gaudy what'd you say? <laughs> it's great I I wish that I had had the experience that you two had going into it for the first time and not having because annoyingly enough I saw a gif of this going around I think it was like tumblr I think it was back oh no back in the day yeah and like it was just a gif of the beginning and I was like oh my god that looks like the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life and it took me a few years to uh, find out that it was tagged but you know from the minute I started it I knew that was coming which was kind of upsetting but yeah I'm so jealous that you guys got to experience it with no context at all. <laughs> Lindsay were you sh- like shook to your core? Yeah I was but like I think it's because <clears throat> this scene feels like it lasts a long time before they're all bisected and you know the girls are talking to each other and Misoku is just like oh I'm not like all the other girls I'm writing poetry and because she's not like all the other girls she survives because she bends down to pick up her pain and I think I just got so wrapped up in that and just kind of like laughing to myself <laughs> about how she's like oh I'm not like the other girls and then like the, the two buses get cut in half and I'm just like what the fuck is the wind to the villain in this film <laughs> just like not knowing how to feel or what to think and just yeah just kind of sitting there in the shock of it all um 
because I'd never seen the wind be the killer before. Well, it's quite interesting because, like, going back to Under the Shadow, the wind was a part of that, even though it, there's, like, the, the gin... Well, you'll know, Lindsay, because you're editing that episode, but um, th- there's things about the wind being the villain. So when I first started this, I was like, are we watching a film that's, like, going to be about the weather killing people and stuff? Or is it going to be some entity kind of, like, Under the Shadow? And it definitely isn't. Completely takes a different turn, but... Um, this film is so gory, but I really like that. Like, it's quite satisfying. It's it's very grotesque. Um, and it's been a while since we've watched something really gory. Um, so it was a nice, fresh pace. But after this scene, obviously, the gal's going to have PTSD from that. Um, you know, she's she's in school telling tell her fr- friends about what's happened, but they kind of push it aside but like one of our friends does she not take her to the window puts her arm out into the wind just like that's a bit savage I was so convinced <laughs> she was like losing her fingers or something <laughs> like I'm, I was just waiting for the bad thing to happen <laughs> um we also have here is it I think it's Aki which is her well she has three friends so there's Aki Sir and Teiko and one of them says oh you're like you two are in love or something like that and they say yes we are and this is so queer coded right I mean they have the scene in the woods as well like come on yeah they're gay they're gay <laughs> they're girlfriends yeah I I love that I um when I rewatched it actually for this podcast I I didn't remember how gay they were together I watched I was like yes love that for them um and it's so interesting because like Aki is the one person who is consistently there. And if you think <laughs> about this world where they exist, where there are no men, you know, is is her lesbian love the thing that's going to ultimately free her from this gross patriarchal society and cycle that she's stuck in? And I kind of love that for her. Yeah, they should have ran off in the sunset together. I would have lived for that <laughs> ending. Still like the ending, but that's like that's just me being really gay. Um, so after this, um, they all decide to cut class and go to the woods. I can't remember which one of the girls is like giving big goth energy with the choker, but I oh, loved sure, her. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, oh, I love sure. Surreal as well. Like her nickname is Sir because her name is Surreal. Like, yeah, that's so stupid. <laughs> yeah sure is very cool um and this is where we we get that kind of as you said Lindsay it's giving 70s porn fantasy they're talking about multiple realities and multiple versions of themselves sir illustrates like predetermination with a white feather stating that it would mean the time it takes for the feather to fall and where it will land are all decided already she suggests that fate can be tricked by simply doing something one would never normally do thus changing the outcome um what do we feel about this because this is when we start you know the plot's changing because now I'm like oh with multiple realities that's that's not where I thought this film was going to go um Lindsay what did you think of of this bit yeah I thought it was interesting because of course like we the viewer are, are kind of just as confused as Misuko like because obviously she just come off the bus she like lands next to what like a river or something she changes her clothes and then she she walks up and finds Aki and it's just like where are we I don't understand what's going on so it's kind of a note to us as well to kind of help us see where all this is going 
Um, because up to this point, like we're just as confused as Mizuko. And can I just say, Mizuko is so fucking cute. I just want to protect her at all costs. And I absolutely love this girl gang. Like, I love where the film goes, but part of me would love to see a film with these four because I just, I love them all together. Let's have a prequel. Yes, I love that. Yeah, they are they are so cute together. And that, you know, that scene is stupid. It's so cheesy. And like you said, it's very porn fantasy, but I kind of can't help but love it. Um, especially when the crocodile or alligator or whatever it is comes out and just like chomps down onto Ko's crotch. And like again, that's you know, that's not an accident that there's a schoolgirl getting chomped in the crotch that seems to me a very obvious comment on like sexual violence against women and girls um but yeah where where were we sorry talking about like the free will and determinism kind of thing I am not smart enough to understand of uh, anything like philosoph- philosophical like that I took philosophy for one year in um when I went to college and had to drop it because it was too hard for me um so I I the whole time I was like wait what (laughs) um but you're right it completely comes out of nowhere because when you see like the poster for this film you might think it's like a schoolgirl slasher or you know something like uh like Tokyo Gore Police which is just like silly rampant gore um or even something creepy like Audition but you would not think it turns into like this philosophical debate on free will and how we can like overcome fate by random acts of spontaneity it kind of comes out of left field and like you said Lindsay we are as confused as Mitsuko at this point because I again I'm not smart enough to really understand it you make a really good point there Amber as well about that crocodile scene what I really like about this film is like uh, Misuko, it's really hard to determine what's reality, what is actually happening, what isn't, um, especially as we go further on where her identity changes, you know, her name changes all the time as well. So we're also, as a viewer, just as confused. And yet, the, I mean, that scene, I wasn't expecting it. It reminded me of, oh, what was the alligator film we watched for Creature Features, Lindsay? It reminded me oh. of that. Yeah, it was like giving crawl realness. <laughs> um, but but you know literally on the biting on the crotch it is it's a direct take on sexual violence towards women and this is the first act we 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 see of that um so it was it was hard hitting seeing that but then it was just yeah it starts us off with the well more violence that's about to come um so we're back at the school and things take a turn to say the least um one of the teacher uh, suddenly is brandishing a machine gun and opens fire killing all the girls except Mizuko so again she's left with all this carnage all these bodies around her and these are really violent deaths like half the head of one of the girls comes off they're getting you know it's it's really violent um Amber what do you what do you think of this scene I mean like the special effects in it are really good I have to say I did enjoy it so that the special the guy who did the special effects on this film is a Japanese artist called Yoshihiro Nishimura who also did the special effects for uh, Tokyo Gore Police which I mentioned um, Dead Sushi and a film called Zombie Ass Toilet of the Dead (laughs) so you could kind of see where this guy cut his teeth oh he's he's a legend he's a legend in Japan like they call him like them the 
oh god i've gone completely blank uh tom savini they call him like the tom savini of japan because his his you know his practical effects are legendary um I love gore. I'm a gore hound. Like the bloodier the movie, the better. And I even enjoy gore that's like not realistic at all. Because this film is gory, but it's not real. It's not like gonna freak you out in how, you know, it's realism. It's fantastical gore. It's splatter. Um, and I love that. I love this scene because. <laughs> uh, so I was a teacher for seven years. Um, that's why I was in Japan. And. While I would never do what that teacher did, sometimes when you're teaching <laughs> high school kids, and they were just like, they just take the piss out of her. They're just, she's like, where are you going? She's there like, oh, we're just talking about the breeze. I was like, shut up. Oh my God. Um, so I kind of empathized with the teachers at this point. Um, no, it, it was it was another great scene. And you know, again, Mitsuko's the one that survived. She's very much the <laughs> they're not like the other girls um in that she keeps surviving these these terrible things um and I love when I think it's Takeo there's that scene of her stood up at the front and she just like poof, loses like half a face half yeah. an arm like that rocks I love that <laughs> you don't ex you don't ex I mean yeah you don't expect to see that I didn't expect to see that even though we've had a bit of gore already um I, I don't know I, I just wasn't expecting it uh Lindsay what did you think of this scene yeah, like it does kind of come out of nowhere. It's just this shift again. But like I, I love the gore. So I like the surprise of it happening. And again, you're still in Mitsuko's shoes going like, what on earth is going on? And you think you're going to stay with this girl while she finds out what's happening. But then just after this, the film takes a total shift. And it's just constantly keeps you on your toes. You never know what's going to happen next. Exactly. The pacing of it, like it keeps you interested. It's definitely one of those, I think we've talked about this before, we'll have films where it's like, um, are you on your phone through it? Mm. You know, are you like looking on Twitter or whatever? And I definitely wasn't <laughs> with this. And I have to say, even though I've never been a teacher, Amber, that's very relatable because <laughs> children are a pain in the arse. And I always say teachers don't get paid enough. It's for what you do it's fucking ridiculous yeah, it, it's hard work and especially like their age and um, like the kids in this movie are you could not pay me enough money to teach high schoolers again like their attitude stinks and i hate it and i hate them <laughs> Preach. <laughs> um, so after uh this uh Mizuko's dragged out the classroom by sir and Takeo, and then as you mentioned we have that really bloody death um they reach a different classroom where they see another girl who's killed by a teacher. Oh yeah, Takeo tries to attack the teacher. Um, Sarah Mizuko tried to escape, but Sarah shot on the way out on the way out, and I was gutted. I was like, no, our goth queen is dead. <laughs> um, so as Mizuko's running out of the school, other classes are fleeing from their rooms as well. And it's just, and this is an all-girls school as well, so it's just mass school girls like running away. Um, and as the remaining girls flee. One of them pleads um, for Mizuko to think about why this is happening. Like, what you know, why, 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 why is this happening to us? But the remaining girls are then sliced apart by the wind again, like really brutally. Um, and then Mizuko wanders into town, and this is where things were kind of. I was kind of like, oh, what's going on? You know, you really have to pay attention in this film because um, yeah. mm -hmm. she she's recognised by a police officer but not by the name that we know her as, recognised as Kiko. Um, 
what Lindsay, what were you thinking at this point? Because obviously this is a first time watch for you as well. So you're like names changing? Okay. The way that she speaks, like the police officer speaks to Kiko and the kind of like excitability around her, I was like, is she famous? Like, I was like, what don't we know about this? girl but it's that she's just turned into a completely different person but I was like is she famous because there just seemed to be a lot of like excitability around her but she's getting married which of course creates a bit of excitability um so yeah I was I was really confused and she looks in the mirror and she's like a different person and she's older as well. She's like 10 years older than what she is. And you're just like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and this isn't the only instance where we have uh, where Masuka looks in a mirror or looks somewhere and, you know, her hair's changed, her face, like, she looks a lot different. She's come by a different name. Amber, what's your take on this as she changes identity throughout this film? I think this film is a really great uh, film that, take talks about the experience of teenage girls because you know as someone who has been a teenage girl the the idea of looking in the mirror and seeing someone you completely don't recognize is very familiar you know as you're going through uh hormonal changes you're hitting puberty your body's changing your face is changing your mood's changing everything's fucking changing everything's scary nothing makes any sense and yeah sometimes it is like people's reaction to you it's like they know a different person like they're they still respond to you like you you're the little kid that they knew a few years ago and you're like wait why are you talking to me like this I'm a complete different person now um so I really I think like tag does a really good job of portraying that transition between girlhood and womanhood and the steps in between where you are both and neither like you're you're still a girl you're not a woman you you're a person but you don't feel like a person you feel like something completely different um and yeah I, I love the unsettled feeling that the scene has as well like um Mitsuko hears the screams and we're looking with her like I was like shit where are those screens come screams coming from like you can hear them and she's looking around and nothing seems to be happening so again it just lends this very disjointed feeling where you don't know who you are you don't know what's going on you don't know why everyone's reacting or not reacting to you as you expect them to which you know we've all been there exactly I was just thinking there as you were saying that like I hadn't thought of this whilst I was watching the movie again girlfriends we love a tangent but um you know being in that in-between stage but even as a woman I suppose as well we often have to put on different masks for different people because you know you have to be a certain person in the workplace you have you have to be seen as a certain person at home as in relationships you know we you mm-hmm. can't be you can't be too slutty you can't be too wholesome you can't be this you can't be that you know you're always stuck in between a rock and a hard place so I don't know I'm just thinking about that having those different masks and having to be different a different person for different people maybe that's a connotation as well yeah 100 percent. i i would i would completely say so you know Mito goes from being this little schoolgirl where she's expected to be cute and funny with her friends and now suddenly she's got to be a woman um she's got to act differently to this police woman who's expecting a different reaction to her and you know like i don't know about you guys but the person i am now is not the same person that i take to work um like oh, this oh, is yeah. the real one the one at work she's a fake bitch like i don't know her <laughs> like, like the 
her mask is fully on I'm just like mm -hmm, yeah like they're like what did you do on the weekend I'm like oh nothing I just hang out like don't tell them that I watched films where people get their skin ripped off um but yeah completely <laughs> Lucy like I think you've hit the nail on the head there and that's again why I think maybe this movie is kind of a feminist masterpiece mm -hmm. yeah the more we're speaking about it the more I'm I'm team feminist masterpiece so far <laughs> <laughs> you're convincing me we'll see <laughs> uh, so after this um as Lindsay kind of already alluded to we get the wedding scene so at the wedding um uh, she recognizes Aki as one of her bridesmaids and she's changed into a wedding outfit so you mentioned she looks like 10 years older her hair's like short now cut into like a little bob um and this is really interesting as well is she's like walking down the aisle because she doesn't know who she's marrying either that doesn't know what the fuck's going on she rather than holding like um a bouquet of flowers she's holding like she's cut a, a bottle like a beer bottle or something and she has this like shard of glass um and as she's like walking up to see her groom as well there's a coffin and I'm sure there's a lot of connotations there as well um you know they open the coffin and it's somebody in like a pig's head they're all trying to get get her to to kiss him mm. and then we basically have like a bloodbath um because she proceeds to kill all her bridesmaids who, who were helping her get ready and you know what you can't blame her can't blame her for it Amber what do you think of this no, scene there's a lot enough. there's a lot going on because they also like get out their outfits or in their underwear at one point yeah. and like there's there's a lot of shit happening in this altar there's a lot and I I think this scene is kind of you know he doesn't see on Sono is not one for subtlety like he puts his metaphors <laughs> very plainly on the table and I think this is basically you know marriage is a death sentence um for women all around the world but especially in Japan um a lot of women we, and we find out Keiko is only 25 and you know that is I think 25 is very young to get married um but maybe my perceptions are all messed up. Anyway, um, yeah, in Japan, you know, a lot of women are expected to marry young, to give up their job, um, to have children, and then to take care of the husband and the husband's parents as well. They often move into the house. So, you know, the woman has given up her life. She's given her independence and her job. And for some women, they love that. That's their, their joy in life. That's fantastic. But for a lot of women, myself included, that is not the life that I want. And the thought of being forced into that by some kind of sick, um, misogynistic god of fate, like that would be a death sentence to me. That would be me walking towards a coffin, you know, um, and the bridesmaids getting naked in their underwear. I don't know about that. That's just, I think that's just another little male fantasy bit. But, you know, I'm here for it. If that was my wedding, then yeah. <laughs> let's go let's go girls yeah no that's that's really that's really true and obviously I mean there, there's pressure across all of society you know a lot of it's catered to cis straight white audience and it's like you have to get married you have to buy a house you have to do xyz by this stage or if you don't you're a failure which is complete mm. bullshit anyway but and obviously as you kind of mentioned before Amber I'm I'm not Jap Japanese I don't you know so I can't claim to know the culture but from what I do know you know there's even more of a pressure on women to get married and to get married really young as you said um so it could be as you said it could be seen as like a, a death sentence and also looking at the creepiness of men like having a, a man in a pig's mask saying like men are pigs I kind of live <laughs> I, I, I live for that but Lindsay I want I, I want to know what your thoughts are on this 
Um, just to let it roll back a little bit, I was devastated when she was putting on her wedding dress, Kiko, and then someone says, oh, the man you're marrying is great. And I'm like, she's supposed to marry a woman, but preferably Aki, please. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and I kind of like how their relationship develops on screen. Like when she was Masuko, Aki really works hard to see what's wrong with Masuko, try and like find out what the issue is and like help her emotionally whereas here she's like look you know I've got your back you need to trust me shows her what to do like break someone's arm in like two steps and she's like this is what we're gonna do and then like helps her physically in this level shall Mm. we call it um so I like that kind of development I also also thought it was interesting as well when she's like walking down the aisle like at first everyone's like cheering her and throwing like the confetti the pills whatever it is and then all of a sudden they turn on her and I don't know if this is like I think a lot of guys are like oh women are really two-faced like they're nice to your face and horrible behind your back which some people are but I think on the whole is not true um so I don't know if Sono was trying to put across something like that like these women are being two-faced to Kiko um you know pretending to be there for her and then as soon as she walks past them they're like stripping off and spitting on her and stuff um the pighead was a bit of a shock I was like was not expecting like a pig-headed man to come out and it's so gross as well it's really realistic looking and the sounds that are coming out of him and when they're like kiss kiss I was like dry heaving it was so <laughs> disgusting and um yeah like the bloodbath after it all it was just really good like love special effects love gore so yeah really happy to see it and it was really interesting as well that like the the teachers show up again from the school so it's connection from the previous bit but they're in this like badass suit attire um and attack Aki and Kiko after a while Aki and Kiko win and as they're leaving Aki spits uh, splits from Kiko to distract him and I'm like oh don't don't separate you know (laughs) see at this point I was like oh the, the teachers make sense because we've seen them go from the school to here in the next scene um, I seen when I seen them, I was like, "What the fuck are you doing here?" Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it makes sense from here, and they just kind of show up out of nowhere in the next scene. Exactly, but we'll move on to that next scene. So, um, Mizuku uh, eventually finds her finds her way to a bridge where a girl tells her to follow her. She does, and then we end up in a marathon. But this poor girl can't catch a break, or she she can't have a breather for five seconds. Uh, but her identity changes once again, and her name's changed to Izumi. She passes a mirror, and once again, her appearance has completely changed. You know, she was once in a bloody dress. She's in a like a marathon runner's outfit, and she also has her hair up in a ponytail now from the short bob. Um, but she eventually finds Aki, Sir, and Teko, who are all running in the race as well. And as you mentioned, the teachers show up again, as well as the pig head, and they begin chasing the girls and kicking the other runners out of the way. Um, she's then told to take a shortcut where she like finds a cave. Amber, what do you think of this scene and the whole like? I mean, we had the running scene before with the teachers in the school, and this is another kind of representation of that, but it, in a marathon essentially. Yeah, well, you know. 
life pretty much that's for me when I watched I was like oh okay well this is this is life this is a woman's life you know constantly constantly on the move never getting a chance Lucy like you said never getting a break never getting a breather constantly chased uh, by expectation or by very real threats you know the pig man is still here um, I also, when I watched this part, I thought, um, although it's not stated, you know, the, the running, the exercise part, I was like, oh, well, that's another expectation of women, you know, is to mm -hmm. have this like incredibly fit, slim body. Um, again, especially in Japan, where there's a, a massive culture of, of dieting and exercise and, you know, being slim, it's, it's very, very much tantamount to life importance. Um, so, yeah, again, run exercises my personal hell so I would be dead <laughs> within five minutes here um and I was just so happy to see sure um show up again and just like give the middle finger and she's yes. like the whole way through she's going fuck like that. <laughs> I just love her so much so to see her come back um it was really a joy and I think this scene is interesting because this is a scene where we kind of do get the all the the um levels Lindsay, i like that you call them that all the levels start mm -hmm. to bleed into one so we've got the schoolgirls coming back we've got the pig man and they all like join together to move on to the final stage as it were yeah leveling up to the to the next bit um so after this we, well we have the cave um so mizuku encounters a group of girls who tried to kill her stating that so as long as she lives they're going to continue to die um, she's rescued by Aki her one true love we will die on that hill who reveals that they're all in fact in a fictional world being observed by someone and that this someone will continue to kill everyone else unless Mizuko as the main character does something to change it so each of the scenarios is a different world and to reach the final one Aki says that Mizuko must brutally kill her by pulling cables from her arms and she reluctantly does so. Lindsay, were you devastated? <laughs> yeah, like you can see Mitsuko like struggle with it so much. Like she does seem like that more quiet, reserved kind of girl. So it's interesting that she's the one that's been thrust into this position of like everything being up to her. And to have to kill her best friend slash love interest. It was awful to watch. It was horrible. It's a really violent scene as well. It's really gory seeing the cables being pulled from the skin. Yeah, she's proper, like, ripped in half. Like, it's yeah. not like she just collapses in her arms. Like, it's really brutal. She acts as, I, I didn't note this, uh, the woman who plays Aki, I'm not sure her name, but that actress, she's fantastic because like her screams and cries, like I was like, oh my God, she's really going through it. And yeah, devastating to see our uh, soulmates get split up like that. We're going to have a pre, if we can't have the running in the sunset, we're going to have a prequel and yes. see their OG love story blossom, <laughs> putting that out in the world. <laughs> Um, so after this, and again, because Lindsay, because you mentioned like levels, so this is where we get, um, and I really like this scene actually, this is where I think we get that kind of take on misogynistic shitty men, but we go into like a 3D survival horror game, which is called Tag, so we have that little bit of meta there, um, the title, um, so Mizuku finds herself in a city literally called Men's World, and it's filled with only men. Um, it's depicting Mizuku, Kiko and Izumi as playable characters. Um, she, she passes out and she finds herself in a temple where all the girls are showcased like mannequins. 
and then there's this like really creepy old man playing the game on his tv showing all the trials that she went through and she sees like full-size models of herself um and all the other girls and the man tells her that she's in the future 150 years ago she was a girl that he had admired as a fellow student and when she died he took her dna and that of her friends and made clones of her for his 3d game amber you just it's so this scene is like so disgusting (laughs) yeah right (laughs) what do you think um i i i love the twist i love that this comes out of nowhere um i i love that you know this isn't that just such a great comment on men's um oh god what's the word sorry my brain's gone blank what's the word when um you expect something for free entitlement that's yes (laughs) men's entitlement you know I had a crush on this girl 150 years ago so I think I'll doom her to a fate where she has to die over and over again in this horrible game um because she wouldn't return my love um that to me that just sums up the the possession that men feel they have over women they're like they're just entertainment they're characters and I love also, and I might get some hate for this on Twitter, but I think there's a little comment on like anime and like uh, uh, like otaku culture there. Because um, again, obviously, like that's a big thing in Japan. Um, oh, not just Japan, in Western culture too. But, you know, this, this and not all anime, again, not all anime, but a lot of these animes are very... Um, shall we say exploitative towards young girls um a lot of the uh the sexualization of young girls is quite prevalent in some of the animes and mangas um that are you know more under the radar so i think this whole like obsessive um otaku thing that you see in these men you also see a lot in real life as well um which I thought was really interesting. And I, I just, as an aside, I love that it's just called Men's World. Like, again, Sion Sono, like, no subtlety here. <laughs> it was like, let's just call it Men's World and be done. I, you know, I agree with your take on that on anime. Like, there is, like, and I don't claim to be an expert on anime. There's some anime that I really like, like Castlevania, Death Note, um, there's a couple other ones, but again, I don't claim to be somebody that's fully in it. But even just, like, so like in Glasgow there's like this geek shop and it's very much like catered towards anime and manga but just seeing some of the art styles seeing some of like the body pillows and like all this all this merch and it is very exploitative it's very sexualized mm-hmm. and it's all really young girls like it, it, it's really it's it's giving that Lolita kind of yeah so I, I, I completely get where you're coming from um Lindsay what do you think of men's world <laughs> Yeah, I think Amber kind of said it really well. Like, there's this entitlement from this guy. It's like, I had a crush on you 150 years ago, so I made you into a game. And then Mitsuko gets no agency in that decision whatsoever. It's just he wanted it, so he took it. Um, And I think that's very representative of um, patriarchy and, you know, just kind of wanting to have women in a certain way that you like and what better way to do that than to be in complete control of that person in something like a game um so yeah when I said at the start like I felt like I got it by the end like I feel like this kind of wrapped everything that we saw up nicely because it made sense to me yeah Yeah, they're they're all like it's well like 
these playable characters, they're all very um, 2D representations of, you know, like the ideal, and I'm saying that in air quotes for everyone who can't see me, like the ideal states of woman, you know, the, the virginal schoolgirl, the bride, um, the the skinny workout fiend who has a banging body like these are all male fantasies made flesh and you know it makes sense that the the game uh, controller would pick these as his little like his dolls to play with Ugh, just gross it is and we can still see you can see that in 2022 as well there's something that I sent, I sent Lindsay a tweet earlier just before we were recording there was an article that came out from like psychology today and it was like um it's something I can't remember the exact line of it, but it was something along the lines of like men need to get their shit together because like a lot of people aren't getting in like relationships and like on dating apps, it's like considerably more men than women on it now. And mm-hmm. you know, women are having a lot higher standards in terms of I'm not gonna put up with this bullshit and like, you know, exposing men for who they are. And honestly, the comments on that Twitter thread, Lindsay, you need to look at it. It's the sheer entitlement of these guys. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and even I know this is off topic, but we've both been obsessed with Love Island and like <laughs> the men on that show this year as well, the sheer entitlement. I mean, one of the guys is in his late 20s dating a 19 year old and he thinks he has all this autonomy over her and like, oh, that's grim. Yeah. That's fucked up. Yeah. So, like that. Still say that in the UK too. Oh um, yeah, <laughs> just every, you know, every era, every country, men are sucking big time. <laughs> Yes. Um, so after this, our entitled uh, older man, he becomes a like, younger version of himself and he like strips his underwear and says like the final stage of this, of his deepest wish is for her to sleep with him. Disgusting. Get in, get in the bin. Um, <laughs> this made me so angry as well because it's in, he's like an adult man. Like you can tell he's a man, <laughs> not like someone who's like 19 he looks like he's in his late 20s early 30s and Mizuko is like 15 and I'm like what the fuck are you doing like it really grossed me out it's gross and isn't that sad and isn't that like that the fact that this man for 150 years put all of this you know we don't know the technology behind it but presumably put so much work into this game and the end goal of the game was just to have sex with her like, isn't that sad? Like, that was the end game. I'm going to do all this just so I can get laid. Like, get a life, my guy. Come on. I know. Like, <laughs> it, it's absolutely awful. Um, but Mizuku attacks, attacks him, as you fucking should, babes, screaming Ooh. at him to stop playing with girls like toys. And we'd like you said before, with the game as well, having all these women as playable characters, it shows that he, this guy, but also the take on men in general in this film is that they don't see women as having like any personality nothing beyond the exterior as well it's like literally playing chess like just moving the pieces and like seeing women as disposable um she rips one of the pillows so again this is like a little nod to like like pillow the cutesy pillow flight uh, fight we had at the start um and the room starts being showered in feathers and remembering what sir said about tricking fate she commits suicide to the shock of the old man um, who not made that part of his game he didn't think that she would be able to outsmart him she uses like his cane and like um you know impales herself and then we have like the red feathers and we can see her like in the beginning of each scenario she starts like committing suicide on the bus at the wedding and the marathon 
and then eventually she awakens alone in a field of white snow and runs away realizing it's over now and I love this I, I'd say this is kind of like her being a final girl to be honest um and it's it's a very smart move and visually it looks stunning as well like this whole sequence and um, Amber what did you think of the ending did you love it oh love Love it, obsessed with it. I, I just, I think it's so funny. Like it's, it's got such a like nihilistic, dark humor that like, Sion Sona was like, yeah, life sucks. Kill yourself to get out of it. Like I, I just think that's so nasty and so funny. But it also has this like, this kind of like almost Buddhist philosophy to it. You know that that the, there is this eternal cycle, and ultimately, death doesn't matter um I, I think it's sure at the beginning she says something like life is surreal don't let it consume you um so yeah like don't take it so seriously don't take this whole cycle seriously because you're, you're gonna die either way whether it's by suicide or you know by natural causes we're all gonna die so let's have fun while we're here that's kind of what I got out of it which is kind of um it's just me I guess yeah because I didn't know whether at the at the end is she actually dead or is she alive and she's tricked this guy or like you said maybe this would be a never-ending cycle for her so she's like mm-hmm. you know fuck it I'm gonna take control of the situation and control my own fate Lindsay what do you think do you think she died at the end or do you think this was her tricking the universe I think she's managed to trick the universe because I think we realize like from men's world that they're not very smart um, <laughs> Like, as much as they've created this technology, I don't know, there just doesn't seem to be much, like, foreplanning. They don't really know much beyond, like, what they're going to do next. So I think she's managed to trick the system. And I just got, like, freedom from the ending. Mm -hmm. That she's just, she's free now from not being this weird guy's toy anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, whether whether if if she's dead if she's in heaven if she's in the real world that she's finished the cycle either way she's free um and I yeah I love that I just love the ending shot is so peaceful um such a difference to like our opening scene which is just chaos and carnage and we just end on a very quiet very peaceful very very hopeful note which I think you know that there's a lot of hope in this movie for as gory and as sad and um you know as this comment on misogyny is very sad because we have to live through it but there is hope there um if you're you know if you're the one that wants to break the cycle and it kind of reminded me of a very recent movie that is very controversial and I'm just going to say straight off the bat that I love it um but it's Alex Garland's Men which was another movie about cycles of misogyny and how to break them so I think they would be quite a neat little double feature together actually yeah, definitely. I've still not seen it yet, but it's on my list. Uh, Lindsay, have you seen it yet? Because it got like a really limited release in the UK cinemas. Like it was only yeah. a couple of days or something. Yeah, it was. It was. Re- I mean, it's it's so it's so divisive, and I I have seen every take imaginable. I've seen it's one of those films. I think where you either really love it or you really hate it. I'm in the former camp, and um, with that, well, I'm not going to spoil it, obviously. But I think. It, when you watch it you'll see a lot of similar themes about again like about cycles about breaking cycles um about similarities between people that's all I'm gonna say I'm not gonna go no you've you've enticed me I need to I need to get it watched um I'll let you know I'll let you know what I think of it maybe that can be 
Oh, sorry, you go. <laughs> no, sorry. I was gonna say if you hate it, then then don't tell me because I no, I won't. <laughs> That's fine. I will. I will crush, crush your, crush your heart. Thank but you. like, Lindsay, maybe this can be for our next IRL spooky sleepover. Yes, definitely. Um, but we'll move on then to box office and ratings. So obviously, because this is the J horror, we were struggling a little bit to get um box office, but it looks like this made 995 US dollars, so just under a million. But again, that's only from the States and the UK. I so I I assume that the box office would be different if you know we looked at it from Japan. I'm not sure if it got a cinematic release. I don't know if you know that, Amber, or off the top of my head i don't but considering it's a Sion sona movie he he is like one of japan's most famous directors but he does release like eight movies a year i would say it probably did but probably wasn't like the film of the year if you know <laughs> what i mean yeah um so in terms of ratings imbd gave tag a 6.1 out of 10 rotten tomatoes critics loved this they gave it a 92 percent and the audience gave it a 62 but as we always tell girlfriends we don't give a shit what the critics say we only <laughs> care about our own opinions so amber what are you going to give tag out of 10 i would give it i would give it a solid eight i think um it's it's an interesting story it keeps you guessing it keeps you thinking long after it's finished um even just in this discussion that we've had i've thought of like you know three different new ways to take the movie uh it's gory it's got an all-female cast which is great um it's it's funny and it's uh visually appealing it's uh, you know it's it's an interesting watch there's always something on the screen that's grabbing you um so yeah i'll give it an eight out of ten very fair can agree with you more there Lindsay. what are you going to give tag out of ten i'm also going to give tag an eight out of ten um it's such a wild ride of a film and i think it's something that everybody needs to put on their watch list immediately I think it's going to be eights all round. I'm also Woo! going to give this an eight out of ten. The more right. that we, the more that we've talked about it, the more I am on team feminist. And I do really like this film. I think it was just like some of the shots. I mean, it, it is quite voyeuristic. Some of the shots are quite misogynistic. But then when you're thinking about the ending, like you said, Lindsay, I actually do agree with you that I think some of it is on purpose. Um, and if anyone's looking to get I wouldn't say even if you're not looking into J-horror even if like foreign horror films aren't your thing if you're into feminist films films that make you question life or you know something that you want to come away with and have a think about afterwards I think this is a great film um and it's I would class it as underrated because I hadn't heard of it before but then again I'm not an expert on for uh foreign horror but yeah really really interesting I can say that I can truly say I've never seen anything like it um, yeah. Yay. <laughs> but we'll move on to the next film of the sleepy, uh, Spooky Sleepover, where we're going, what the fuck did I just watch? Which will be Evolution. So, Lindsay, take it away. She's not more. Dans la mer. Il y avait une étoile sous le ventre. Une étoile de mer. Dans la mer, on croit voir beaucoup de choses. Pourquoi je suis malade Parce que ton corps se transforme. 
Ta mère m'a dit que tu dessines beaucoup Oui. Et qu'est-ce que tu dessines jamais eu d'enfant noyé. Qu'est-ce qu'on va me faire Une piqûre. IMDb plot for Evolution is the only residents of young Nicola's seaside town are women and boys. When he sees a corpse in the ocean one day, he begins to question his existence and surroundings. Why must he and all the other boys be hospitalized? This film came out in 2015, stars Marta Blanc, Max Brenban, and Roxanne Duran. It's directed by Lucille Had. Has a look of it. I'm just probably going to refer to her as Lucille from now on because her surname's really complicated. Um, her other works include Innocence, La Bouche de Jean Pierre, and Earwig. Uh, she also wrote the film alongside Alante Cavite and Jeff Cox. Um, so was this a first time watch for both of you? I had literally never even heard of this movie before you guys mentioned it i had this is you know quite shameful of me i suppose but i had never heard of this director i've never seen anything else by her the only thing i did um that really shocked me is that she's married to gaspar noe um which kind of makes sense um as you know a fucked up filmmaking couple um <laughs> but yeah this was a first time watch and like a full introduction to this uh, female filmmaker which you know i i think she's wonderful i've only seen this film i really enjoyed it i think she's very talented and it's always great to have a, add another female director to the roster because god knows we need more definitely I, I'd never seen this film. I'd never heard of it. It just goes to show that I should really take a look at my bloody Shudder and see see all the films that are on there because I didn't even know this was on Shudder. I did have like a little bit of a research afterwards because like I was saying to Lindsay before recording, I'm so glad you're talking about this film because I don't know how I would describe this film to somebody <laughs> that was asking me about it. it is, it's so fucking confusing, but I saw an interview with um, Lucille, the director, and she was saying that this film is about sensation and emotions. It's not storytelling. So people have to bring their imagination to the table, which makes sense because like the one thing I got out of this when I was watching it is there's like hardly any dialogue. It's very ambient. It's very artsy. Um, and I was like, oh, what, what's the representation of like starfish and like all these C-sections and all this stuff? And she's basically saying there, there isn't a symbol for it. 
has several meanings and it's complex. That's all I'm telling you. So it's up to us to decide. I love that. The David Lynch school of not helping your audience. Um, I watched this for the first time a couple of years ago, I think like on a mission to find more films directed by female directors. Um, So I came across this, it was on Prime at the time. And yeah, it's really atmospheric. It's really weird. And I just kind of like fell in love with how weird it is. Like it is a hard film to explain. It's even I think sometimes hard to be like is this horror but there is this uneasy feeling throughout the whole thing um another thing that Lucille has said about the film is that she it's based on like feelings that she had when she had her appendix removed when she was 10 and I feel like that's a good bit of context for the film too especially Mm. where some of the cuts are taken how young the children are there is this whole feeling of like what's going on. They don't know what's going on with their bodies. And there's these older women who aren't really divulging much information. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine being 10 and having your appendix removed and not understanding what's going on. And adults just being like, oh yeah, we're just doing this. And you're just lying there like, what? I'm, my tummy's sore and you're going to cut me. And this is also strange. So I think that provides a lot of good context for what you're about to watch mm-hmm. so let's get into the plot then so the film opens with these like beautiful ocean scenes like absolutely beautiful reefs uh, this was filmed um like on the canary islands um so you'll notice that from like the black beaches and stuff you get that from like volcanic islands and you get really nice juxtaposition of the black sand and the white buildings um so we've got a lot of filming in the ocean and then our protagonist sees the body of a dead boy with a red starfish on his stomach and he goes to tell his mother but when she goes out there later she she tells him that there's no dead body there and brings brings him back the starfish um what did we think of these opening scenes? So for me, straight off the bat, I was, I'm terrified of the ocean, like absolutely deathly terrified of it. So I was like, oh God, <laughs> even like the peaceful shots, I was like, please don't be anything in there at all. Um, but also that like the, I am so glad that the director, um, Lucille, Lucille um I'm so glad that she said that you should focus on the sensation of this film because the the thing that I took away from the very first scenes I was like this the feeling of this movie like everything feels like um like amniotic like like primordial it feels like salty and bleached and I loved it it it's such a gorgeous looking movie it feels like the end of a long beach day when you're like really tired and feeling really lazy and like kind of a little bit you know brain buzzy and you know you've got salty skin and there's the the sea waves in the background and I love a film that can like just immediately engage a sensation in me that I can literally feel you know I think the scenery in this movie and the setting is just as you know maybe even more important than any storyline that it may or may not have because like it it's like a womb like the the island is a womb the whole thing feels like 
like a womb like I said it feels like amniotic and like relaxing so that was my first thing in the first few scenes I was like I'm scared and I'm relaxed and I like feeling those two things (laughs) yeah I didn't know what to expect when this first started I was like is this gonna be like killer mermaids is this giving lighthouse realness where it's like (laughs) you know just or creepy killer starfish I'm not scared of the ocean but I can't swim because I have dyspraxia so I'm like anything in the water I'm like oh this is pretty but if it was me I'd be dead in five seconds because I can do a doggy paddle and that's about it (laughs) Um, but I don't know if either of you have seen Ammonite it reminds me of that it oh it's a it's a great lesbian film um it's got Kate Winslet in it it's so like I'll watch anything that has lesbians but it is actually a very good film but it that's based in the seaside it's about like fossils and like a fossil hunter and everything but it's the same kind of thing where it's a very ambient film and there's a lot of seaside and there's representations in the ocean and that but I I definitely recommend it this reminds me of like a horror version of that Mm -hmm. like it's a lot about visual storytelling so I mean I wouldn't say this is a film that's for me because I do like storytelling I'm I'm not massive on ambient films, but you can't take away that the cinematography in this isn't stunning. Like, it is absolutely... The shots are breathtaking. Mm -hmm. So later that night, we see his mother go into the sea and bring back the body that Nicola found and all of the other mothers gathered around it. So we already have this feeling that we can't really trust the adults in this film because they're not being truthful to the young boys in the film so the very next day uh, Nicola is playing with the starfish that his mother brought him and like the the boys start to like mock him for like being a bit frightened of it there seems to be I don't know if there's like tension or if it's just kids being kids but there seems to be these wee bit of like tension points and then in frustration Nicola just bashes one of the legs off of this starfish which is like really uncomfortable to watch um I hate seeing violence to animals me too but I also hate starfish (laughs) (laughs) there's like there's I think I'm not sure if it's this scene or just before but there's one scene where the boys show up outside Nicholas's house and one of them has on a stick now I had to look up what they're called I think it's like an isopod I don't know if you've seen there's a great found footage movie called The Bay um which is about killer isopods they are the thing I hate most in this whole world like nothing scares me more than those things they're like giant wood lice that live under the ocean and they're just there that's a monster i don't care what anyone says so they show up with this dead thing on a stick and i'm like no i hate these children already i hate this town full of like sea creatures and starfish and oh god it's just it's ugh, it just really made me feel strange it's so bloody gross and then nicola as well that very typical childlike curiosity is like poking at it like oh, as it's yes. been buried and you're just like leave it alone and I don't know if the other kids have just picked up a vibe from that like why was he doing that is, was he frightened of it and they've just like made fun of him for playing with the starfish now so this movie like you can almost sm- smell it I grew I grew up like I live in Cornwall so I'm like live next to the ocean and when the tide goes out the stench of like a low tide beach I could smell it when they started playing with that thing I was like what <laughs> 
I could feel it like <laughs> I, I'm an Aberdeen and you can the, the brine and the yeah, nah, gods. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, Aberdeen can just absolutely stink of fish sometimes. That, oh. That's it. That's the smell. Like not not about it. <laughs> I did feel really bad for this kid at the start because I'm like, oh, he's getting bullied and all this. It's not fair. But then, like, he batter, he fucking batters the starfish. So I'm like, no sympathy for it. Mm-hmm. little demon child it's very like lord of the flies like like children when left to their own devices children will kill shit and they will like <laughs> violently attack shit like kids are not as innocent as everyone makes out if you put them together as a teacher as i mentioned i've had children like plot against me and they are some vicious little things i'll tell you that now i don't even really remember as a kid one of my friends just like would pour salt on like oh what was it not snail the oh slugs slugs, slugs. Oh. and just watch them wither and i'm like you fucking lunatic oh so creepy i mean i was watching it with her so i'm a fucking <laughs> lunatic as well but still you were like yay <laughs> kids are weird <laughs> they are but i feel like even this movie like from the start you get a sense that nicholas is different from these other boys they, they yeah. automatically know that something's not right about him and he's obviously he's trying to show off. He's trying to fit in with them um, by killing starfish. Um, and starfish are a huge thing in this movie as well. Like the symbolism of starfish and how they reproduce asexually, or they can like chop mm-hmm. off a limb and that can become another starfish. Like that's monstrous to me. Um, but yeah, again, Nicholas, we just from the offset, he's not the same as the other boys. So um, after this outburst at the beach, his mother takes him to the hospital and we see this kind of operation take place. Um, it's all very clinical. We see like every step of it. The like, was it like iodine going down and the cut that happens? And then he goes to the ward with the other children and we, or the other boys, should I say, because they're our only boys. And we see that they've all had the exact same incision happen. Uh, and then later that night, all of the nurses watch cesarean sections being performed on a video on the like the tiniest TV ever as well. Um, so again, like, it's very uneasy feelings. What is going on? Why are these boys getting these incisions? Why are the nurses watching cesarean section videos? Like, why are there only boys? Why are there only adult women? There's so many questions being thrown up about this little community. Um, what did what did you guys think at this point? So probably one of my biggest fears is being pregnant not that that's ever going to fucking happen and the thought of being pregnant terrifies me like I I, I think I told you this last week Lindsay I, like I've had nightmares before where I thought I like physically felt like I'm pregnant and the thought of a c-section I mean a c-section so brutal anyway there was like a c-section scene in Prevenge as well which we watched last week um and like you say it's it is so clinical so this is like my worst nightmare personified and every time these scenes come up I'm, I just get the bulk and I'm like oh no absolutely not <laughs> I, I think for, for me at this point I had no fucking clue what was going on like truly and I, I enjoyed that like I was like yeah no idea it's only now that I've kind of gone back and you know thought about the movies that I have thought well 
if the film the film's title obviously comes into play like evolution are these nurses that we see are they a natural evolution of humans that have adapted for an ocean life um are they aliens like are they us in millions and millions of years who have come back in time um science doesn't know but what i do know now is they're probably watching this c-section video to figure out how to do it um to figure out how human beings give birth and obviously they reproduce asexually and then they as we find out later they implant a little fetus in to the boys so they're figuring out how to do it because they don't know maybe they were placed on this planet um just out of context and they don't know how to reproduce so they're having to watch like instructional videos but it also has like a very cult feeling to it it's like they're watching like induction videos and they're all stood there like I love a creepy nurse don't get me wrong but like they're all stood there like blank eyed and they've got their eyebrows bleached out and I kind of love them but yeah already the vibes are the vibes are off so Nicola like starts to have suspicions that his mother and the nurses are lying to the boys so he tries to convince his friend Victor to sneak out in the middle of the night and see where all the mothers go at night um when they get to the beach Victor runs back home he's got the fear but Nicola watches all of the women from the island writhing around in the mud in the nude while they pass this object to one another and the audience can see that it's like a a, a fetus a baby but I don't think Nicola can see that um, and then when he gets back home he sees his mum showering and she has like suckers on her back um this film takes you at another turn what what did you think of this at this point i had to double check that this wasn't an a24 movie because i was like (laughs) right orgy fucked up fetus weird child like this has got to be and i was very surprised when it wasn't an a24 movie um again at this point i had no idea what was going on i was into it i was into the creepy you know, um, writhing sexual mass on the beach. Well, I don't know. Is it sexual? Because I mean, in context, it looks sexual, but I don't think, you know, anything sexual is actually happening. They're just enjoying, you know, the pleasure of the moonlight and this weird fetus thing that they're passing around. But we don't, do we see any like explicit sexual contact? I don't think so. I don't think we do. Like they're mute, but I don't think, yeah, yeah, there's anything like sexual happening. Mm -hmm between them anyway maybe like the land and the moon but not between yeah. them well that's the thing I think the pleasure is coming from the from nature again mm. this could be an A24 movie it's the ocean it's the sand it's the moonlight that's giving these women this pleasure and where the fetus comes in God only knows yeah I, I had to check at first so like, like you said this does give A24 vibes but I was like is this like again me making everything gay so it's like a lesbian commune and it's because there's no men apart from these little boys that and this is how they have a society which I'd be here for um but you are right it's I think it's supposed to be ritualistic rather than sexual but it's you know they're making it look sexual because you know for the audience to it's the audience that have to perceive it that way kind of like Lucille said it's about sensations rather than than storytelling um and then the suctions on the back of the mum as well this is where I was kind of getting like a mermaidy kind of creature vibe are they like part of the ocean and this is how again evolution and reproduction 
and it's done like I, I wasn't I wasn't too sure um but yeah there could also be something there with the moonlight and the sand and everything so yeah it's it's very artsy I, 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 this is where I was like, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck is happening, basically? <laughs> um, so Nicola is given uh, an ultrasound hospital and we can hear the heartbeat of a fetus. So I guess that confirms it for us. Like These young boys are growing children. Um, Victor, um, the friend who we met earlier, he is operated on, and he has like a like a it looks like a few feces come out of his stomach, um, and they're put into a jar, and we see this room just full of jars of feces, which is really weird. Um, a nurse then brings a conch shell into the ward and says that like Victor has sent this to them and that he's fine and recovering. But we, the audience, know that Victor died during the operation. Um, there's also this scene of Nicola's mother trying to get him to eat this weird blue shit. This stuff made me feel ill looking at it. I'm like, that's not normal. That's not natural. And every time it comes on screen, I'm just like, no. And then in this scene where he like point blank refuses to eat it, she gets really upset with him and then he's like well you're not even my mum anyway um when Nicola accuses his mother of not being his mother do you think he's on to something I I do I I think Nicholas is I think Nicholas is a human child that's been kidnapped from the from the uh city or town that we see right at the end of the movie um and I think he's human. And I think maybe the first boy was human as well. Or the boy later who also says my mother isn't my mother either. So maybe living among these strange humanoid water creatures are human children. Maybe they're all human children, but some of them are just more brainwashed than others. When she feeds him the, I literally wrote in my notes, just worms for dinner as well. Um, because like, I, I don't know if they were eating worms, but it looks like worms. I'm thinking maybe that's, you know, eating the worms is what keeps them brainwashed or keeps their beliefs. So the minute Nicholas is like, mm. no more, that's when something clicks in his brain and he's like, wait a minute, I don't know who this woman is. Um, so yeah, I definitely think he's onto it. I think he's figured it out and that's why, you know, she leaves him. Yeah, I saw a few theories kind of like that as well, Amber, and I agree with you. I think that at least some of them, and at least uh, Nikolai, he's been kidnapped from, from the city. I think some of them, well, it's interesting because we don't know, you know, if the fetuses do get to grow up and become boys, and that's how the cycle continues, but we can assume that happens. I think maybe some of them have were born in quotation marks on this island and then they're continuing the cycle it's evolution it's for breeding but i feel like you know our our main character is from the city um and then the other boys that say you're not my mom i mean they literally aren't because if they come from the other kids that then they're not um so yeah i i agree with that theory so there is a nurse in particular that Nicola develops a relationship with called Stella and we see it throughout the film that Nicola really likes drawing 
Um, and in his little sketchbook, he draws the dead body that he found um, and the starfish. But then he also draws a bicycle, a car, a building and a giraffe. And he's drawing these from memory. So, and he's never seen them on the island before. So I think, like you were saying, Amber, maybe this food he was eating was trying to brainwash him. And now that he's stopped, he's remembering all of these things from his past life. Mm -hmm. And he himself is now convinced that he was kidnapped and brought here alongside the other boys as well. So, um... Stella shows him some pictures in a file of a woman with suckers on their backs uh, and this includes one of a young girl as well. Uh, she takes him down to the sea to show him the suckers on her back and he touches them and then she takes him into the water. Um, I remember the first time I watched this, maybe not so much on the, like the second watch, I was a bit like, oh, this relationship makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. But I think on the second watch, I'm a bit like, there's nothing sexual or romantic in it. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you guys think? I know I completely agree with you, especially the last couple of scenes in which Stella breathes into Nicholas's mouth. It's it's a kiss. Well, it's it's not, but it is. It's mouth to mouth contact. And at first, I was a bit like, oh, like taken aback. But you're completely right, Liz. There is like nothing sexual um to their their contact um you know the who know these um creatures obviously don't really have sexual feelings or do anything sexual because they reproduce asexually anyway and aside from the orgy scene we don't really see them receiving any kind of pleasure as we know it um but but I also you know this is very stereotypical thing I think like in European film there's less of a you know, you know, in, in the UK especially, we're so like, whoa, 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 don't don't put that to screen. Don't even like touch that. But in European film, there's a lot more loose with what you can put to screen and not have it immediately shut down because it's not sexual. It's just a relationship between an older woman, well, she's not, not older woman, you know what I mean, an adult <laughs> woman and a child. Um, but at first I was very uncomfortable when I watched it. I was like a don't like that and I don't want to see it um even though Stella is a very interesting character and I've literally just clocked sorry tiny mini tangent that her name Stella Stella means star in uh, I don't know what language but it definitely means star starfish there we go there you go it's all connected I'm the same I I mean those scenes did make me feel uncomfortable especially the scene under the water where as you say it is a kiss but I mean you're both right it, it isn't sexual I mean she is literally giving him like the kiss of life or allowing him to breathe and it, it, it is all quite I mean this film is quite clinical so it, it, it is clinical and I think you could probably code these creatures these women whatever you want to call them as asexual because all the sexual connotations are from the audience our perspective of assuming it's that so yeah they don't have sex that we can see of or in the way that we perceive it as, as a society so um but yeah the first time I did watch I was a bit like oh mm, I, you know it, cause, it's because we're not used to seeing that on screen I think as, as you said Amber especially in the UK you know I was kind of comparing it with a film we did on the podcast a few weeks ago The Innocence that I won't 
spoil what happens in that if you've not seen it, even though it came out wait, like, 60 uh, yeah, years yeah. ago. Oh, wait, no, 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 sorry, I'm thinking of the new one. And um, there's a like as there's a romantic kiss between an adult female character and a, a like a male child, and it's really uncomfortable. It's supposed to be, um, but yeah, after watching this the second time and kind of seeing that there's nothing romantic in it, like the first time I watched it, I was like, "Whoa, this is really gross." But this time, I'm kind of like. No, like, it's not like that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's carry on. So, so Nicola ends up going back to the hospital um, and he sneaks into one of the rooms where one of the other boys are and they, he gets Nicola to place his hand on his stomach and he, like, Nicola can feel movement in the body, you know, like, pregnancy. And, um he forces Nicola to press on his stomach until he vomits. Um, obviously thinking, like, I don't want to feel like this. Um, in the next scene, he sees a boy floating in a tank. And then when he's caught by a nurse, Nicola is given one last surgery before he himself wakes up in a tank, restrained, and then sees, like, two babies next to him. I find this very strange, just particularly for where the babies were. Like they're very much they look like they're feeding like from his lower stomach. So I was like, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me because obviously children are generally fed by the nipples. Um, what did you what did you think of this tank scene and the baby as well? Like in terms of special effects, I hate that baby. It's so <laughs> fucking gross. Because <laughs> I as babies go I'm not like a baby fan <laughs> sounds so strange but I'm not like they're fine but this one I was like what is that little freak um, and babies in horror movies are generally freaks but this this whole thing it gave me very it gave me a very Cronenberg feel a very like the brood feel especially like the external um fertilization like having a baby connected to you on the outside um I also think I would I would really like to rewatch this film with a focus on like pregnancy and gender and uh, like non-gender conforming pregnancies as well like trans mask pregnancies um also bodily autonomy you know the fact that the boy um he basically asked the other boy to give him an abortion it kind of you know goes to the fact that any gender if pregnant with an unwanted pregnancy will do whatever they can to get an abortion if you're not going to make that fucking legal it's still going to fucking happen um so yeah that was kind of what i want to go back to with it but when i first watched the scene i was mostly focusing on that fucked up baby i'll be honest with you (laughs) oh it's really interesting when we're talking about pregnancy and how at the political time we're watching this as well when people's rights are being taken away from the supreme Mm. court and how fucked up things are in the states but i mean there was also something recently in the uk where they took the word abortion out of one of our legal billings or something along those lines so yeah Uh, but you're right because anybody that has ovaries any you know anyone can get pregnant it's not just women that can get pregnant so there is that kind of take on it as well i also got from this um if anybody has played the video game Death Stranding, it reminds me of that. Hideo Kojima, like, I'd love to see his take on this because that film's about babies and tanks and 
that man's mind i would just love to sit down with him for five minutes because it's so fucked up um he's a freak he is a freak but it also kind of reminded me of aliens in a way you know when you see all the tanks and in aliens there's the eggs and that's all about breeding and evolution and stuff so um yeah i was also thinking about the the fucked up baby um and then you mentioned you mentioned earlier Lindsay, about like the the appendix thing as well with the seal maybe that's why they're feeding from the lower stomach or something i don't know that's the only kind of connection that i can make maybe yeah um so nicola finds himself at the sea with stella again and they enter the water again but this time she like presses her mind against his as they swim um and they seem to be swimming for ages and i think this maybe reinforces the idea that they might be some kind of like sea like the sea creature human hybrid because Stella is helping Nicola breathe but then it's like how is she breathing she's obviously taking oxygen from the water somehow um so they swim for ages and ages and then she pushes them back to the surface and they are at a small rowboat um Stella puts him into the rowboat, gives him a drink of water, and then she goes back into the water, we assume going back to the island. And Nicola floats on this boat um, in the direction of a major city. And the film ends with the credits and we're just watching Nicola just float to this city in the night. And that's the end of the film. Um, what... Why do we think Nicholas, of all the boys, is saved? Of the, like, we don't know how long this has been going on for. Maybe Stella regularly saves boys. But why, Nicola, do you think? I think, so I think the title evolution can obviously refer to, like, the human body changing into this, like, sea creature thing. But I also think it refers to, like, Stella and her growing a conscience, um and even like a human consciousness i don't know if there's anything special about nicholas i think he might just be a boy that she got to know and something evolved within her mind that told her this isn't okay um this creature needs to go back to the world that it came from and i'm gonna do that um i don't i don't know if there was anything particularly special to nicholas i don't know if stella has done this before i get the feeling that it's maybe her first time because at one point she takes she it looks like she's drowning him she takes him under the water to see how long he can last and um I read a theory I can't remember where it was sorry, but I read a theory someone said online oh she's she's doesn't know how long humans can breathe underwater so she's practicing um so that when she rescues another child she she now knows how long humans can breathe underwater and when she needs to provide the air which i thought was really interesting like has stella now evolved a consciousness of humanity that she's now going to save these little children and take them back which i think is a nice little hopeful ending for it yeah i can definitely see that um i think the the only thing that i could and i i'm in agreement i think maybe there isn't anything particularly special about nicholas but the only thing i could think of is is you know near the start where we have that weird fucking skin creature thing on a stick and he's trying to bury it and the other boys are bullying him it maybe could be seen that he's like 
got more of a conscience than the other kids and he's more kind of sweet and kind-hearted I'm kind-hearted I mean we don't know what Stella has and hasn't seen in those scenes because I don't think we see her in that bit but maybe that makes her gravitate towards him and that's why he's the first one that she chose interesting um I don't like it yeah I kind of in agreement with you is I think maybe like this is the first time she's seen like humanity in a boy and has maybe decided that a life of being a incubator for one of these fetuses and then just death at a young age is not for him and maybe he deserves a chance at life so she ships him off to the big city it's like Moses in the basket or something oh yeah <laughs> I love that I love that <laughs> Um, okay, so let's move on to box office and ratings. So as you can imagine, this film kind of did the festival circuit. It premiered on the Vanguard stage at the Toronto Film Festival. So it didn't make a huge amount of money. It only made $55.9,000. Um, so not a lot, which isn't surprising with this kind of film. There's also like a big discrepancy between like audience ratings for this film and critics ratings for this film. And so on IMDb, it's got a 5.9 out of 10. On Rotten Tomatoes, it's got 83% from the critics and 44% from the audience. And Metacritic has rated it a 77%. Um, it's definitely not a film for everyone. So I kind of get that. Um and even me, myself, like, I don't know if or when I'll revisit this film again after today. I don't know if you feel similar. Um, I, pro- I probably will. Um, pro- probably not for a while. Um, this movie came into, I feel like I, I liked this movie, don't get me wrong. Um, I would give it a solid five and possibly six out of 10. It's definitely more positive to me than it is negative. But this movie unfortunately came into my life at a point where I am done with European slow burns for a while. <laughs> um, I, I watched in the same week I watched, oh God, what did I watch? I watched Moloch um, and the new film called The Innocence and something else, Euro. And they're all fine films, but God, are they slow? God, are they European? <laughs> just so then this one as well I was like I love this but you came into my life at the wrong time <laughs> um, but no it's it's a beautiful movie it's beautifully shot it it says a lot without saying a lot if that makes sense like it's like you said that it's so so little dialogue you could probably watch it with no sound um but it still says so much and the feeling it gave me this briny saltiness I haven't really experienced that from a lot of other movies so for that reason alone I am inclined to think of it more positively than negatively I probably won't rewatch it (laughs) it's not that it's a bad film but it's just not a me kind of film which it, it sounds weird because like I love a slow burn I love artsy films but I need dialogue, I need character development if I'm gonna, and this isn't a long film either, it's like just over an hour, but the lack of dialogue and the lack of me, like, I'm a lazy viewer, give give me dialogue, (laughs) give me characters, I can deal with metaphors and foreshadowing, I love Ari Aster, all that kind of stuff, but yeah, it's just not for me, like, I, I appreciate it for what it is, it is a beautiful film, but yeah, I just, I don't think it's something that I would revisit. 
it's one of those kind of films it's so weird and so different to anything I've ever seen before I would still be like I think you should watch it oh definitely and I think as as well it goes it matches really well with tag which I completely (laughs) didn't expect because you know they are both what the fuck did I just watch but in very different ways you know tag is constantly like bam 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 whereas evolution is more like what um they're both you know they both make comments on gender they're both like set in basically women run worlds um i know we have the boys in evolution but the only adults are women and same in tag they're the only adults are women until we get at the end of the old man so they have more in common than i actually first thought um so with that being said um let's get into our rating so amber what would you rate evolution out of 10 well, like I said, I'm more inclined to think positively. Uh, I On Letterboxd, I gave it a three out of five. I don't know how that translates to out of 10 because I suck at maths. Um, I, let's say six. I'm going to give it a 5.5 out of 10. What about you, Lucy? Don't hate me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that, no, it's not going to be really, but I mean, I usually give stuff quite high praise, but I think I'm going to give it a four out of 10, kind of similar to what the audience has given it. Like I say, it's not to discourage people from watching it. I think like if you want something where you're like, what, what did I just watch? Like I'd say, give it, give it a try. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, I'm not the audience for this film. <laughs> That's all I'll say. <laughs> I'm a bit torn in terms of ratings because obviously it's really beautifully shot. I do think it's like a very well-made film, but there's that kind of like watchability factor for me. It is a hard watch. It's maybe not something I'm going to crack out for friends or something. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Friday it, night movie. Guys. Yeah, let's watch the most fucked up French film I've ever seen. Um, so I think I'm going to give it a six. I've been kind of floating between a six and a seven, but I think six suits how I'm feeling about it a bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's our spooky sleepover. Um, I hope you enjoyed listening to us talk about the weirdest films we've ever seen. <laughs> guys this is so much fun thank you so much for having me oh thank you for coming on yeah um so next week we are going to be talking about 2000s films it's 2000s night uh, with the girls from the drunken horror podcast uh, so looking forward to that yay they rock <laughs> <laughs> um amber where can people find you online um twitter instagram at hornbloodfire you can find my podcast under the same name on spotify and apple Podcasts and every podcast um i have a website you can sign up to my newsletter if you want by going to hornbloodfire.com newsletter which i put out twice a month and it's very fun um and yeah check out my writing for grimoire of horror and ghouls mag i also have an essay in the upcoming uh hero scream volume 2 anthology which is very exciting so uh keep an eye out for that and yeah i think that's everything <laughs> lucy where can people find you online find me on all my socials at lulu underscore pew i didn't realize amber that you are also contributing to volume two because so have i yeah Yeah, exciting (laughs) for that but yeah you can find me lulu underscore pew i am at hi it's lindsay underscore all social media 
you can find the podcast on twitter at girlfriend pod and at girlfriends underscore podcast on instagram uh we'll be back next week with 2000s night but until then stay spooky